I'm on a holiday, like I'm there for the experience, right? But there's other people living their lives and my experience just in, intrudes in their lives, basically. Every episode, we unpack one controversial opinion about the Japanese mindset, culture, and custom. Today's controversial statement explores Kyoto and tourism. From Human Burrito Productions, I'm your host, Kaho Koda, and this is Controversial Japan. Feel such a white dude talking about your country. <laughs> well, I'm asking you to talk about it. So, Rutger is Dutch, and he grew up in the Netherlands, and he happens to be my boyfriend. Winter of 2018, we visited Japan together. This was his first time in Japan, but he already knew a lot about the Japanese culture because of our relationship. We've discussed topics related to Japan, believe me, many, many times. So his view on Japan had a tint of me prior to the visit. After visiting friends and family in Tokyo, we took a trip to Kyoto. It was actually my first time in Kyoto as well. Kyoto needs no introduction. It was the original capital of Japan for centuries until the capital moved to Edo, now named Tokyo. Kyoto is filled with significant temples, shrines, and artifacts. When you think of Kyoto, you might think of Hushimi Inari, famous for the red Senbon Torii, the thousand red Torii's that tourists love so much that it's always trending on Instagram. One evening, we looked for a restaurant in the touristy part of Kyoto. We eventually decided to go into a traditional Japanese izakaya restaurant. The waiter, the head waiter, like he snapped his neck very quickly looking at me uh, and I could just see panic in his eyes. <laughs> As soon as the waiter saw Rusker, he glanced towards a chef behind the counter. He was an older looking man, maybe in his 50s or 60s, wearing a white chef's uniform. Safe to assume he was the head chef. He looked at Rusker and shook his head. Rusker is white, evidently a gaijin, a foreigner. I quickly understood what was happening. We were about to be denied service. After the head chef signaled, No to the waiter. The waiter approached us. Before the waiter could say anything to us, I blurted out, meaning, We're two people. Do you have any space left? The waiter looked surprised that I spoke in Japanese. With my tan skin and how I dress, I'm often told I don't look Japanese. He probably suspected that we were both gaijin, foreigners. He hesitated for a second, but let us sit. But yeah, they, they almost denied us service. So like the moment I got in, like very quickly, I got the feeling like I wasn't supposed to be there. And they were like, oh, no, 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 it's not going to work. Uh, so he asked for a table and eventually we did get one, uh, but it wasn't a table. We were like stuffed away in the corner at the bar, uh, which I found was quite, quite funny. There were empty tables at the back, but no, we were given the counter seats right by the entrance. Early January, so every time a customer walked in, There was a breeze. The empty tables in the back. Maybe they were reserved seating? I hope that was the case. The food was good, but the interaction with the waiter, how the head chef shook his head looking at Rutger, left a bad taste in my mouth. After dinner, we decided to go to a hidden bar that Rutger found online. We sat next to a couple. It turned out they were from Australia, a white woman and a black man. 
We began by making awkward eye contact with each other, and in 10 minutes, we started talking about where we're from, why we're traveling, where we've been, you know, the general conversation you have when you meet people who are also traveling. And we eventually got to the topic. I explained what happened earlier at the izakaya, how we were almost rejected at the restaurant. The Australian couple nodded, and then they said, quote, Yep, we've experienced that too. And not just once, but a couple of times. Unquote. Then there was a slight pause. And then the husband said, Is it because I'm black? I felt sorry. And I was ashamed. Sorry it happened to them and sorry that they didn't know what the reason why they were rejected. Ashamed and disappointed as a Japanese individual that my country treated this lovely couple in that way. In front of the Australian couple, as a Japanese individual, I was the representative of Japan, whether I liked it or not. I felt like I owed them some kind of an explanation. At that moment, here's what I said to them. No, I don't think you were rejected because you're black. Of course, I don't know the real reason, but I think it's because you both look like a foreign tourist. They probably didn't want to go through the trouble of trying to speak in English or translate the menu for you. Even though Rusko and I were about to get rejected, we had a way out because, well, I'm Japanese and I speak Japanese. But I was furious. I was offended. They looked at Rusko, saw that he was a foreigner, made an assumption that he couldn't understand the menu, and decided to say no to us. Well, which I prevented. What the restaurant was about to do to us, what the restaurant did to the Australian couple, it was discriminatory. Having lived in Japan, the US, Canada, and now living in the Netherlands, I've become very aware of the different types of racism or discrimination. I've experienced the typical go-back-to-your-country scream from a racist elderly person. I've gone through ignorant, insensitive questions from people I just met. In any situation, whether it be an everyday conversation or a one-line joke in a TV show, if there's any racial aspect or discrimination involved, I obsess over it. I replay the scenario over and over in my head and try to justify that the person didn't mean it in a negative way. I analyze it. I question it. Is the joke funny or is it just plain inappropriate? So when Rusker, my significant other, experienced something because of the way he looked, I couldn't let it go. However, Rusker didn't feel the same way. I didn't really think anything of it. Like, I just thought it was a funny situation. But you were very much offended, which got me to think about it, basically. <laughs> but I, I, I wasn't, I, no, I didn't feel offended or I didn't feel rejected or I didn't feel there was, like, like any racism in it. Um, for us, you very much felt differently about that. The restaurant doesn't carry an English menu. So, like, that, that would be the first problem. So, like, just, they are just not set up for, for foreigners who don't speak Japanese. And I'm going to have a great time and I'm going to be like a difficult client for, for the waiters and the chefs. And so, yeah, like I, I just totally understand like their point of view where they're, they're less inclined to, to serve us. They would probably say like, no, 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 no space or whatever. They would probably win me out on like a, a bit of an excuse. They would like send me out. But yeah, like I, I didn't feel anything about it. No very strong opinions now. Many Japanese people have a difficult time speaking in English. It's difficult to give you an exact percentage of people who don't speak English. Some websites say over 60%, some say 70. 
what's the best way to measure English fluency anyway? But to give you an idea, I'll give you a stat from the TOEFL IBT test. It's a standardized test for English as a second language. And the scores are used for employment, university applications, and so on. And the test has four components. Reading, writing, speaking, and listening. Amongst Asian countries, Japan ranks last in the speaking category. Ruskar understands that he's a tricky client in Japan, and he's okay with restaurants refusing to seat him. And then he recalled another evening where we went to a whiskey bar in Kyoto. The bar was empty when we arrived. The bar was empty and it was very tiny. And it was one bartender, um, almost like a living room kind of setting. And we walked in and like immediately again, like just panic in his eyes and a little bit of comfort in the fact that you spoke Japanese. But he served us a drink. But then because we were sitting there, like other people came in and they were very clearly like Japanese businessmen, like they had their suit on. It was the end of their day, hard work. They came there to like uh, have their evening together. And like every time somebody would walk in, they would like see the regulars at this bar and they're like, hey, and then they would look look around and they see us and like, oh, there's a foreigner. <laughs> Um, like I got that sense very strongly and like, like obviously you and I felt very weird there. So like after that one drink, we, we got up and left eventually. He added, it wasn't that we were not welcome there, but we just clearly didn't belong there. It's true. All these older men in business suits and us wearing sweaters and jeans looking like tourists. Well, we were tourists. The one thing that Jap- Japanese people are really praised for is their just their ability to to produce very high quality stuff, uh, high quality service, high quality stuff. Whatever they make, they make it well. Whatever they do, they always do it better. I feel at least. <laughs> Rusker is saying that the Japanese pursue high quality products and services, and that's also the case at this whiskey bar. Whatever it is that that a bartender is supposed to do, he does that to his best of his ability. And this bar was very clearly meant for like a couple of regulars who come there at the end of the day, who have their drinks together, smoke cigars and whatever, or cigarettes, I mean. And that, that is his purpose. That's the one thing he does. And he does that very well. Like he, has, like he probably knows all the drinks and like knows what to make. And like that is what he's set up for. That is what he's, he strives for, what he works for every day, what he gets up for. And then I walk in. This stupid tourist who wants to have an experience like what do you do with that like how do you like it doesn't fit in the world right i'm on a holiday like i'm there for the experience right but there's other people living their lives and my experience just intrudes in their lives basically i think it's also very beautiful that like this one establishment like does this one thing and he does it very well and then it just caters to this niche they're in and not to anything else so like i think there's also beauty in that Today, I want to discuss Kyoto and tourism in Japan. First, let's look at other foreign tourists' experiences, the good and the bad. And later, we'll look at it from the Japanese point of view, their frustration towards tourists. I want to start off by talking about how Kyoto is so different from other cities. I'll let the internationals explain the uniqueness of Kyoto. First off, let's start in the bigger context, comparing the east and west of Japan. Here's Rutger. When we were in Tokyo, uh, so the waiters were very, very polite and very apologetic. And 
um, yeah, versus Kyoto, where it was just way more laid back. People were a bit louder. It was a very different atmosphere, I guess. They're very more outspoken. They're more, they're louder. They're Rutzker felt that people in the West were friendlier and easier to approach compared to people in the East. We separate the two as Kansai. That's the West. Kyoto, Osaka are cities you may know. And Kanto, that's the East. So, Tokyo. Lizzie also felt the difference between the East and the West. She currently lives in the Kansai area, so the West. But she also lived in Tokyo for a short period of time. She's from London. Tokyo just feels very soulless to me, which might be really harsh, but it's a really cool place to visit. But yeah, it feels very, it's very like city, anonymous commuting type of place. Kansai is friendlier in some ways, but in other ways, I think, I don't know if ruder is the right word. I think they're less like uptight about the manners. Not that that's not there, but like compared to Tokyo, on the one hand, that means often they are a bit more open and friendly. And then on the other hand, they're not going to feel embarrassed about staring at you. And it's like... <laughs> Ruskar, my boyfriend, also mentioned all of the staring. He said he felt a lot of stares in both Tokyo and Kyoto. He's a gaijin, and not that foreigners are uncommon in Japan, but Japanese people still stare. And in Tokyo, when he stared back at the person who was staring... They would quickly look away as if to pretend they were not looking in the first place. But when he visited Kyoto, he realized that people in Kyoto just kept staring. And he stared back, like a staring contest. He found it funny and interesting that there was such a contrast. Japanese people always mention the difference in personality between Kansai and Kanto, the classic example that a Japanese person gives when explaining the difference between the two regions is this. Let's say you're on a busy street, and you trip and fall over, and it's very clear that you're going to be okay. In the East, so in a city like Tokyo, people will pretend they don't see you. They walk around you. They pretend you didn't fall. As if you don't exist. They pretend because they know it's embarrassing to fall, so they quickly look away. On the contrary, if you were in the West, so like Osaka or Kyoto for example, a couple people would rush towards you and help you up while they crack jokes. Like, oh my gosh, are you okay? You need to watch where you're going. They joke and they keep it light. Kansai, the West, is more approachable and friendlier, whereas Kanto, the East, is a big city where you're more anonymous, a little cold. And it's not just the East and West that have personality differences. Even in the same Kansai area, there can be a massive difference between two prefectures. Here's Erik talking about it. I had never seen such a massive change in character between people. And in Osaka, during the time that I was there, people would joke about that. Erik is Dutch, and he grew up in a small town in the Netherlands. He used to live in Osaka and Tokyo. When he lived in Osaka, people from Osaka would say the following. From Osaka people, I was told that they are the warmest people and that Kyoto people are the coldest people. Osaka is located southwest of Kyoto. The two prefectures have a friendly rivalry going on. It's a thing. I've mentioned this in previous episodes. Japan is a homogenous country. 98% of the population are Japanese citizens. 
If you do not look Japanese or Asian, you stand out. Rutger, Erik, and Lizzie are white. They do not look quote-unquote Japanese at all. They're foreigners, gaijin in Japanese. You probably heard me use this word earlier in this episode. I asked internationals, so gaijin, what their experiences were like traveling through Japan. Of course, there's both good and bad. Let's um, start with the good. Overall, Rana had a positive experience. Rana is an Asian-Canadian woman born and raised in Montreal, Canada, from a Chinese and Canadian household. I will add that her bicultural looks make her ethnically ambiguous. In early 2020, she visited Japan, so I asked her if she was ever denied service at a restaurant. No, it didn't happen to me. I think I was privileged to have either people around me who spoke the language Or maybe I just kind of sat down and pulled out my Google Translate. (laughs) She spoke about a time that she went into a tiny gyoza restaurant in Kobe. Kobe is an hour away from Kyoto by train, and it's a part of Kansai, the West. She said that the gyoza restaurant had a counter with six seats. Two women were making the food behind the counter, and there were three men who were there, and they understood English. They helped her out. She said that it was not so great communication, but so welcoming. And she remembers it as a heartwarming story. When I stepped into that restaurant, they were terrified. (laughs) But, you know, as soon as you pull out a book or you pull out a translation app, it really does help. And people are open to that. I think as long as you are receptive and you clock into how people are feeling about it, that is my privileged experience. I don't think everybody has that. In addition, she mentioned that everywhere she went, everyone spoke to her in Japanese. They didn't try to speak in English. She liked that. I appreciate. I think that's super important because I am coming to your country. Why should it be that you, you know, have to interact in a different language? Like, it should be me. I should be the one doing the translating to be able to communicate with you. I am coming to your country. Like, the fact that I have the privilege to be here, I should be respectful of your language and your culture. She believes that as a visitor to the country... She shouldn't expect Japanese people to speak in English to her. Instead, she should try her best to communicate in Japanese, whether it be through Google Translate or gestures. At least she has to try. That's how she feels. And here's Michelle, also from Montreal, Canada. She told me about a time when she was visiting Kawasaki. That's in the Kanto area, East Japan. My first time in Tokyo, I was with a couple of friends, and we went to Kawasaki for... uh, to this cool arcade at like seven in the morning because we were jet lagged and um, we ended up talking to this local when uh, when we were done playing all the games and we were like oh do you have any ramen places to recommend and he was like oh yeah like come in, come in my car I'll take you with me <laughs> in my head she was slightly worried but she was with three male friends so she was comfortable enough to get in the car she's also tall and strong he ended up driving us out to Chiba, and the, the ramen shop he wanted to take us to was closed. So he drove us out to Chiba and then like showed us all the views and stuff like that. And then put like a thousand yen in a vending machine and was like, buy whatever you want and whatnot. And just like took such good care of us <laughs> that afterwards, when we finally got to the restaurant, we treated him. But he was just so sweet and so kind. And it was just like, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Japan is a relatively safe country, but this is not something I recommend you to do. 
I'm very happy Michelle had a wonderful experience. But listeners, please be safe. But it's not just pleasant experiences. Now we need to address the not-so-great experiences. Lizzie told me about what happened at an onsen. An onsen is a hot spring. Onsens are everywhere in Japan because there's so many volcanoes. And usually onsens are huge baths where you bathe with other people, unless you get a private room with an onsen. It's often gendered, male or female, and you just take a bath with other people staying at the hotel. As someone who went on many onsen trips with my family, I'm used to seeing different kinds of naked bodies. Anyway, Lizzie explained what happens to her and her international friends when they visit an onsen. So in onsens, we call it the gaijin effect. Um, I can't even really be mad about it, because. Um, but if that, whenever I've gone to an onsen and there's more than two of us, as soon as we get in a bath, you give it like five minutes and all the Japanese people will get out. Like they'll all leave. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not dirty. And then on the other hand, you're like, well, I now have the bath to myself. So I don't know if I can be mad about that. The phrase that people use is like microaggressions. Is, I think that's what it's called. I, again, I'm kind of glad I got to experience them because to be brutally honest, like I'm like a small white girl. I don't experience a lot of that in England. There are other things, but like nowhere to the level. And so in some ways, I hope it's given me a bit more of an understanding about being treated differently based on your appearance. Um, and I only experience a very like small amount of that. Apparently, this happens in other places too. Eric told me what happens on the train. I'm not a Japanese person, but it would be nice to be treated with at least a little bit more respect than people tend to do, whether knowingly or unknowingly. You know, the classic example in Japan of the, you're sitting in a crowded train, but you're a foreigner and people are just standing up, not sitting down next to you. And I hate to say it, but it's happened to me so many times. And I have just absolutely no idea what's going on in these people, in, in the minds of the people that look at me and think, oh, it's a foreigner. I will make the conscious decision not to sit next to them, even though the, the train is already quite crowded. He acknowledged that in the beginning, he thought he wouldn't be bothered by it. But reflecting on it now, talking about it in this interview, Eric recognized that he was bothered by it. Because it's the, it's the lack of understanding for other people. Right? They, they don't consider anyone else's feelings. Or maybe they, well, at least foreigners' feelings. Because in, in how, how I experienced it, at least, is that Japanese people are maybe over-considerate in many cases, but not for foreigners. Or not always for foreigners, I believe. But Eric also understands that he never experienced the worst. He's a good kind of foreigner. I'll let him explain what he means by that. So I also have some friends who are uh, people of color, and uh, they they joke about the fact that I am a good foreigner, being white. Obviously, I can't judge on how they have perceived everything. Um, but I think that's also an important part to just mention that if you are white in Japan and a foreigner, you're treated differently, yes, but it's... It can be worse, even. Uh, obviously, white people are privileged all around the globe, and that is something that shouldn't be the case. It's the climate that we live in at the moment, and hopefully the world will come to its senses at some point and stop that. It must be so hard for people of color in Japan. Yeah, and I can't, I can't imagine. But yeah, I just thought that was worth mentioning, that even my experience is still the better foreign interaction. 
Yidik brings up an important point, the experiences of people of color who live in Japan. That, in itself, is a big topic to address, so I'd like to dedicate a future episode. As a foreign tourist, there are beautiful and unique moments that you get to experience with the locals. Some locals love to feed you, and some want to help you out. But unfortunately, you may experience some microaggression as a gaijin, a foreigner. Next up, the Japanese perspective, right after the break. Hey guys, writer and host Kaho here. Thanks for listening to episode 5 of Controversial Japan. I can't believe it's already been five episodes. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, please help us out by purchasing our merch. When you buy a cute tote bag or a t-shirt, we get to continue producing more episodes for you to enjoy. Go to shop.humanburrito.com and thanks for your support. You've heard the international speak. Now I want to get into how Japanese people perceive Kyoto and how Kyoto perceives foreign tourists. Ayumi is a Japanese woman who studies illustration in London. She's from Tokyo and she said that she views Kyoto as similar to England. According to Ayumi, Kyoto has a unique atmosphere and it's quite an exclusive city. People from Kyoto are not too fond of people who are not from Kyoto. A bit of a snob. Just like in London, tradition and custom are very important in Kyoto. She added that it's also true that there are many people from Kanto, East Japan, who find Kyoto cool. Like me, I've always admired Kyoto. And that's the image from a Japanese person from Tokyo. A generalization, of course, but there's some truth to it. I want to focus on the exclusivity of Kyoto, specifically in the hospitality industry. In Gion, restaurants and traditional tea houses have carried on its tradition for more than 350 years. One tradition being Ichigen-san Okotoari. The concept translates to we don't accept first-time customers. It's like an exclusive club that requires you to have a membership. These high-end restaurants and tea houses value quality of service over quantity. There's a built trust between the tea houses and their regular customers. It's considered inappropriate to discuss payment at the location, so the customers receive their bills later. And there's a trust that they'll always pay because, I mean, they always do, they're regulars. In addition, hostesses and maikos live in these tea houses. It's unsafe to let strangers into their own home. On the flip side, regulars are trusted by the tea houses. I think it's also very beautiful that like this one establishment like does this one thing and he does it very well and then it just caters to this niche they're in and not to anything else. So like I think there's also beauty in that. That was Ruskar again from the main story. He sees the Ichigen san okotoari, we don't accept first-time customers, as a wonderful thing. However, some Japanese people find the rule of Ichigen-san okotowari, we don't accept first-time customers, to be snobby. But it's also a tradition that has worked for more than three centuries. So when I talked about how Ruska and I were rejected at the restaurant to my parents, they weren't in shock or anything. They referred to this idea of rejecting first-time customers, Ichigen-san okotowari, and told me to get over it. Ayumi visited Kyoto roughly three years ago. It was a solo trip and she was looking for a calming environment. 
She already knew it was going to be busy, so she booked non-touristy places. But she said that there were just so many foreign tourists. Lots of tour buses with flags. She didn't enjoy the big crowds. Ayumi said that Kyoto is supposed to be quiet and calm. There's huze. Huze means the atmosphere you feel. It can be in nature, a beautiful view, the elegance of something. Zen. Kyoto has that atmosphere, or supposed to. But with too many foreign tourists, the atmosphere has changed. She spoke with an old Japanese man in Kyoto. He didn't enjoy the gaijins, the foreign tourists. He said, quote, Tourists leave trash behind and they're so loud. It's annoying. No respect, no manners. Unquote. From the old Japanese man's perspective, he categorizes all foreign tourists as gaijin, foreign tourists. It doesn't matter which country or culture they are from. They're just not Japanese and therefore don't understand what he thinks is basic manners. Let me get into it a little bit. One of the core concepts in Japan as a collectivist culture is meaning don't bother others. From a young age, children are expected to be quiet on public transportation. You have to be considerate of others around you. And in school, there are cleanup times every day. Students clean the classrooms, hallways, toilets, and the entire school as part of education. There are no janitors that clean up after the children. It's also important to note that there are very few garbage cans in public spaces in Japan. People are expected to bring home their own trash. And it's not always the case, but generally speaking, Japanese people clean up after themselves. Japanese people value the idea of don't bother others. So imagine all these foreign tourists with various cultural backgrounds visit the supposed to be calm and zen Kyoto. Different cultural backgrounds mean that norms, manners, and etiquettes vary as well. It's not good or bad, that's just how it is. And add a lot of tourists to the situation. From the old man's point of view, these people are loud and are inconsiderate of others. In a way, where the foreigners come from doesn't really matter. They're just not Japanese. Japan, the homogenous country, has a strong national characteristic. And if you don't fit into it, you're a gaijin, a foreigner. That's the distinction. You are either Japanese or you are not. We'll explore this concept in future episode. Going back to tourism in Kyoto, there are other issues to note. Many gaijins want to take beautiful photos of maikos in the Gion area. Maikos wear traditional kimono and wear Japanese makeup. It's the Japanese aesthetic. And so many gaijins just run after maikos to get the perfect shot. Some even walk into private properties. Taking photos without permission is rude and disrespectful. Often the media shows a crowd of gaijins running after and surrounding the maikos. These maikos... They're 15 to 20-year-old ladies. And when many tourists take the bus to visit historical landmarks, the locals can't get on the bus. There's just too many tourists who take up physical space. But let's also keep in mind that Kyoto wanted tourists. Back in 2017, the Kyoto mayor signed off on permitting construction of high-end hotels in residential areas, which led to an increase in hotel construction. Now the locals are struggling to find vacant office buildings and homes. In recent years, the number of tourists that visit Kyoto exceeds 50 million per year. 
In the past five years, the number of foreign tourists has quadrupled. Of course, this figure is pre-COVID-19. Fall of 2019, the Kyoto City Tourism Association announced a new initiative to revisit how tourism can work in Kyoto. They wanted to rebrand tourism to reflect high-end hospitality. They hosted a seminar on how to market towards wealthy tourists, and many from the hospitality industry attended. For his re-election campaign in 2020, the mayor of Kyoto emphasized that, quote, Kyoto was not a city meant for tourism, unquote. He wanted to focus on rebuilding a sustainable Kyoto, where tourists and locals could coexist. He had plans to expand public transportation for locals, and he was re-elected for his fourth term. And we know what happened right after. COVID-19 hit. That time when I went in August, it was not crowded at all, like neither Japanese nor foreigners. Like we went to the Imperial Palace and you can imagine there's like a big, big plaza and there would only be like maybe three people in total in the entire plaza. Like it was actually possible to take pictures of the buildings without anybody in it. It was really, really eerily empty. That's Patrick. He's first generation Thai American and he teaches English in Japan. Back in August 2020, he took a small trip to Kyoto. He lives in the Kansai area, so it's close by. He said that restaurants were open at the time of his visit, but it still felt post-apocalyptic. Like other tourism-dependent cities, Kyoto is struggling through the global pandemic. Kyoto has shifted its focus to catering to Japanese tourists for domestic travel. But the reality is harsh. The city has gone through multiple periods of state of emergency alerts since the pandemic started, and many businesses have closed their doors. Compared to 2019, there was a 60% decrease in the number of people who stayed at hotels in Kyoto. Some foreign tourists are not delighted with the treatment they get from the Japanese during their stay. And some Japanese are frustrated with the inconsiderate crowds of foreign tourists. I'm on a holiday, like, I'm there for the experience, right? But there's other people living their lives, and my experience just in, intrudes in their lives, basically. And then there are some who are not bothered, like Rusker. Everyone has their own unique experience and therefore interpretation. But as a Japanese individual, I go back to that night at the bar in Kyoto with the Australian couple. To the question, am I rejected because I'm black? As someone who knows what it feels like to be rejected in other countries, I can't help but think, Japan can do better. Have you ever traveled to Kyoto? Next time you visit Japan, would you interpret the situation differently? Would you act differently? Controversial Japan is produced by Human Burrito Productions. We interviewed Rutsker Vink, Lizzie, Rana Lu, Michelle Day, Ayumi Yanagi, Patrick Fang, and anonymous individuals for this episode. Our sound designer is Junan, and you can listen to more of our tunes on Spotify. Our theme song, Coast to Coast, is by Mikara, and you can also check out our music via Spotify. Artwork by Macy Matthews. 
you can see more of Macy's design on her website, macymatthews.com. If you'd like to support our podcast by purchasing our merch, designed by the talented Macy Matthews, who also created our podcast cover, visit our web store, shop.humanburrito.com. Check out our website for more info at humanburrito.com. And if you'd like to send us a message, you can email us at humanburritoproductions at gmail.com. We'll be back with more controversial opinions about Japan. Till next time. Was West Coast from the start, coast to coast.